good news this week. Two of the world's biggest tech companies have signed deals to import 10 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Indoor venues are opening up this week in Taiwan. Leslie and Stash check out the situation at a local gym and movie theater. A bit later on, Andrew tells us how the latest outbreak has impacted politics. There have been some big shifts in political party support. And we're going to bring you a look at Taiwan's Olympic athletes in Hashtag Taiwan with Leslie Liao. This is Taiwan Insider. We have great news this week. The outbreak is subsiding and vaccines are coming in. The daily COVID case numbers have been under 20 for the past couple of days. And also, Foxconn and TSMC have just secured a deal this week to buy 10 million Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines for Taiwan. Let's take a look at how that happened. Wearing a visor and a mask, Foxconn founder Terry Guo meets with President Tsai Ing-wen in June to discuss plans for a vaccine donation to Taiwan. A month later, and it seems those plans are coming to fruition. Foxconn and semiconductor giant TSMC said on Sunday that they've signed deals for a total of 10 million BioNTech vaccine doses. BioNTech CEO Uur Shahin said in a statement on Monday, It has always been our goal to provide access to a well-tolerated and effective vaccine for as many people as possible worldwide. BioNTech is glad to be able to also supply the Taiwanese people with vaccines manufactured in the European Union. And details of the price per dose have also come to light. Reports say Taiwan's TTY Biopharm company was offered $31 to $32 last year, while Taiwan's health ministry discussed a price of $45 per dose. Foxconn and TSMC, however, say they've reached a deal for $30, plus an extra $3 per dose for storage fees. For 5 million doses, that means each company will pay 165 million US dollars. The vaccine doses will have special labels to differentiate them from the BioNTech vaccines produced in China. That's in order to meet Taiwan government demands. Now, we just have to sit and wait. It will take 6 to 8 weeks to get the doses ready, so they should arrive via DHL in September or October. The German manufacturers are handling delivery, so they shouldn't need a plane from Taiwan. Health Minister Chen Shijong says you can store the vaccine at minus 70 degrees Celsius for six months. Authorities now say you can keep it at 2 to 8 degrees for 30 days, up from the original recommendation of only five days. That's according to new advice from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and European Medicines Agency. And it's good news for Taiwan, since only one company in the country has the right equipment for ultra-cold storage. With millions more doses on the horizon, things are looking rosy for Taiwan's race to get vaccinated. Taiwan has been under a soft lockdown for almost two months now, but on Tuesday, some of the restrictions were lifted at indoor venues and national parks. Let's take a look at how many people are venturing out. The Level 3 COVID alert is still on until July 26th, but some venues have opened up. People are relieved they can finally go outdoors. Parks and aquariums have reopened, but with restrictions like limits on the number of visitors. The Chenqing Lake in Kaohsiung saw people arriving at 4 in the morning. A grandpa brought his granddaughter to roam around the lake. Bird lovers were there to take pictures of their favorite fowls. The place attracted close to 600 visitors in just one morning. That's just a fourth of the usual crowd before the pandemic. 
The 375 hectares of land around the lake is big enough for nature lovers to enjoy themselves and observe social distancing. Indoor venues haven't seen many visitors, though. Kaohsiung's National Science and Technology Museum only saw eight visitors on the first day it reopened. The same empty site was seen at Pingdong's National Museum of Marine Biology and Aquarium, which saw less than a tenth of the usual crowds prior to the pandemic. The outbreak is declining, but it may take a while before people feel safe about venturing to indoor tourist sites. Taiwan Insider Stash Butler and Leslie Lau also checked out the local gym and cinema. Let's see what they saw. We're standing outside a gym near Dan Station. Now, it's places like this that have been allowed to open from Tuesday, July the 13th. We're going to go inside and see if things really are back to normal. We head downstairs, scan the government QR code, get our temperatures checked before going in to find a completely empty gym. We're the only people here aside from employees, and this is normally a busy spot. The receptionist tells me I should wear a mask and disinfect equipment after using it. And only 20 people are allowed in at a time. There's certainly no risk of us crossing that limit. I decide to go for a jog on the treadmill. It's not very enjoyable. I'd much rather not be doing this in a mask. Of course, I make sure to wipe all the surfaces down. I mean, that's just common courtesy. Gym staff tell me the busiest it got at peak time on Tuesday was only eight people. So despite safety measures in place, it seems regulars at this gym in central Taipei are keeping clear. So I just got to the movie theater and it's relatively empty. Um, looks like movie theaters are open but people are opting out. Um, if you look behind me, only one escalator is operating right now. Uh, let's check out the second floor and see what's going on. I mean, I have a feeling that nobody's going to be up there either, so let's go. Oh, this is much worse than I had imagined. There's literally nobody here, and I wouldn't be surprised if I have a whole movie theater myself today. Wow, people are really careful, huh? Makes me feel kind of bad. Well, I hopped out uh, a little bit before the movie began just to tell you guys what's up. Just because having a camera or any kind of recording behavior in a movie theater is bad juju. Um, so we were let into the theater and there's, I'd venture to say, less than 40 people. And only every other seat is open in the movie theater, so you have a lot of space. Um, a lot more people showed up than I expected, so there's that. Otherwise, I was kind of afraid to watch a movie all by myself in a, uh, in a big empty movie theater. Next up on Taiwan Explained, Andrew Ryan tells us how the recent outbreak has affected political preferences in Taiwan. Last year, Taiwan's government got high marks for its success in containing COVID-19. People were largely unified, and pandemic prevention was seen as apolitical. However, that's all changed as Taiwan deals with its worst outbreak since the pandemic began. Now, how has it changed? Well, this past week, we got some new numbers from the Taiwanese Public Opinion Foundation. Taiwan's political parties are laid out on a spectrum from green to blue, as you can see here. Now, green is the ruling party, the DPP, or Tsai Ing-wen administration, and blue is the main opposition, KMT, the Kuomintang, and their allies. 
Now, in March, about half of the people surveyed supported the ruling party, or DPP. A quarter were neutral, and another quarter supported the main opposition, KMT. Now, in June, that shifted dramatically. Have a look at this. Erosion of support for the ruling party, they lost 15%. The KMT, interestingly, didn't make any gains. They were stable at just over 25%. And at the center, a big increase in the middle three categories to nearly 50%. So that's basically a sign of partisan de-alignment, which is when people leave one party but don't necessarily go to support a different party. So when did this all change and what caused it? Well, back in March, things were pretty much normal here in Taiwan. But then by mid-May, COVID-19 began to make a comeback. The Taiwanese Public Opinion Foundation says one of the main reasons for the political shift is the outbreak, particularly the increase in cases and deaths. Also, the impact of the soft lockdown, not only on the economy, but also on the way we lead our lives. And of course, the lack of vaccines. Now, one more interesting part of this survey, when people were asked to choose a political party that they support, this is what they said. 22% said the ruling party, the DPP, that's a five-year low for the party. The main opposition, KMT or Guomindang, also lost a little bit of support. And 15% for the Taiwan People's Party, or TPP, that's a record high for Taipei Mayor Kuenje and his party, which was founded just two years ago. But that may have eroded since late June due to his handling of the COVID outbreak in Taipei. But the most telling statistic is nearly a third of the people surveyed chose no party at all. So there you have it. That's a quick look at how the handling of the current outbreak has impacted politics here in Taiwan. Up next, Hashtag Taiwan. Guess what's happening next week? That's right, the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo, Japan will kick off. And if you think I misspoke when I said 2020, you're wrong. The 2020 Summer Olympics are coming to us one year late because of COVID. Boy, let me tell you, this coronavirus has the world out of whack. But not whack enough to keep Taiwan away from the Olympics, baby. If you want to watch Taiwan compete, then be on the lookout for this flag and the name Chinese Taipei. For complex geopolitical reasons that I'm not getting into, Taiwan cannot compete as Taiwan. Anyway, Taiwan's athletes are scheduled to fly to Tokyo on July 19th. Taiwan is sending 66 athletes to compete in 18 categories. Among them are two sports that Taiwan will participate in for the first time ever, karate and canoeing. If you're curious, the other 16 categories are shooting, track and field, archery, swimming, gymnastics, table tennis, boxing, rowing, equestrian sports, weightlifting, judo, tennis, badminton, taekwondo, cycling, and golf. Earlier this week, President Tsai attended a ceremony where she presented Taiwan's Olympic team with the country's Olympic flag and wished athletes and coaches good luck in their respective categories. The gist of her speech was, go kick some butt. But President Tsai also knows that kicking butt don't mean a thing if you can't do it in style. That's why she shared a picture on Instagram showing off Taiwan's Olympic athlete gear. The Chinese Taipei Olympic Committee Facebook page has also been getting people in the mood for the games. They're introducing Taiwanese athletes almost daily, and they've even come out with virtual athlete trading cards that when put together, 
form the Chinese Taipei Olympic flag. Pretty cool. But what's even cooler is what we can expect from Taiwanese Olympians this year. Did you know the number one women's singles badminton player in the world, Dai Ziying, is Taiwanese? And that's right, you guessed it, she's headed to Tokyo. Next up, you've got Eddie Wong. He's a swimmer and last year he broke a world record for the 200 meter butterfly stroke. And then you have Ding Hua Tian who a year and a half ago invented her own officially recognized gymnastics move at the age of 17. Four time weightlifting world champion Guo Xingchun will also be representing Taiwan. 2019 World Boxing Championship bantamweight gold medalist Ling Yuting is competing as well. Then there's also 2019 Archery World Championship gold medalist Lei Qianying aiming for gold. You have Wen Ziyun who's making history simply by showing up to the Olympics. She's the first athlete ever to compete for Taiwan in the category of karate at the Olympics. Like I said, Taiwan is sending 66 athletes to the Olympics and so far I've only mentioned 7 of them each with impressive accomplishments in their respective sports. I could sit here all day and go over all of the Taiwanese Olympians with you, but I think I've given you enough reason and hype to follow Taiwan at the Olympics this year. I myself am looking forward to a subsequent drop in gold prices because I believe we're bringing home that many gold medals. Flood the market, you know, make gold as cheap as table salt. Before we leave you today, let's take a look at some of the other news stories on our radar. Taiwan has opened up COVID-19 vaccinations to all adult residents. As of this week, residents 18 and older can register on the government's vaccination platform. You can also let authorities know if you prefer the AstraZeneca or Moderna vaccine or are okay with both. Once doses become available, you'll get a text message letting you know that you can make an appointment. Japan has donated a third batch of COVID-19 vaccines to Taiwan. This latest shipment of 1 million doses brings the total number of doses Japan has donated to Taiwan up to 3.37 million. The shipment is arriving on Thursday, the same day as two other shipments of nearly a million doses that Taiwan has purchased. In other vaccine news, Taiwanese Buddhist organization, the Tsuchi Foundation, struck a deal with the government last Friday to represent Taiwan in negotiations to secure 5 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. But the government says that it will be the last agreement of its kind to purchase the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. This effectively shoots down a plan by the opposition KMT to bring in an additional 5 million doses in conjunction with four county governments that the party controls. Baseball is back on! Fans and cheerleaders will be absent from stadiums, but the games are back on as of Tuesday, ending a two-month hiatus brought about by COVID-19. Okay, final question today. What sport do you think you could win a gold medal in at the Olympics? Leslie? Now, I think the sport where I'm most likely to get a gold medal in is track and field. Because I was looking at the list of categories in the Summer Olympics, and there are a lot where you have to go face-to-face -face with an opponent. And I'd just be happy to participate in a sport where there's not another guy just beating down on me. All right, and what about you, Andrew? I think rather than telling you, maybe I should show you. Have a look at this. I like to call this Olympic radio host jumping with microphone in hand. I think I'd get a gold medal in that. <laughs> nice picture. And Stash? Well, I've always said that if sleeping were an Olympic sport, I would definitely win a gold medal. Uh, you pretty much set me down in any bed. Let me sleep. I can knock out 12 hours. Absolutely no problem. I could do that too. 
I could also get a gold medal for decluttering for my cat. All you have to do is clear the counters and throw half your stuff away. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Insider. I am Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. We're doing a great job, Taiwan. Let's keep up the good work and see if we can get those cases down to zero. And I'm Leslie Liao. See you next week, guys. I'm Stash Butler, and I'll see you next week. Be sure to follow us on social media and leave a comment below. We would love to hear from you. You're awesome, Taiwan. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.
搜集你的气味，装填空荡的夜，镜子前的世界，扭曲的回线。Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Japan's Deputy Prime Minister Taro Aso said that it would defend Taiwan in the case of a Chinese attack. Now, how does this affect the military balance across the Taiwan Strait, and would this help deter an attack from China? Well, today I speak with one of Taiwan's top defense and wargaming experts, Professor Alexander Huang. Of Danjiang University's Graduate Institute of International Affairs and Strategic Studies, Professor Huang, thanks so much for speaking with me today. It's good to be back in the program. Yes, and well, I think this is kind of big news that Japan has been coming out. A lot of their top officials have been saying that they would defend Taiwan. Why do you think that they are beginning to、um, talk like this? I, I think、uh, Japan has always maintained. A quite focused on、uh, the situation surrounding Taiwan, because Taiwan is、uh, in the way of all Japan's、uh, sea lines of communication for Japan's uh, uh, maritime-based imports, no matter it's crude oil uh, or uh, technical ports,、uh, goods, and supply line.、Uh, it is very important. For Japan to、uh, make sure that、uh, the surrounding area near Taiwan would not be disturbed, that has been known for a long time. However,、uh, the reason、uh, more assertive actions by the People's Liberation Army of the People's Republic had、uh, raised the eyebrow and alert in Japan that、uh, that China. Might、uh, take military actions against Taiwan, and that will definitely disturb Japan's、uh, economic supply line.、Uh, so I believe that's、uh, how Japan, as a whole, that、uh, given more emphasis on the security of Taiwan. But for his remarks on defending Taiwan, I would rather look at it from the angle. Uh, that uh, Japan urged the United States would focus more on Taiwan and would help Taiwan to defend itself.、Um, I do not believe that that remark would imply that Japan will use、uh, its self-defense force to be involved in any military conflict across the Taiwan Strait. Oh, really? Because some there are some news reports saying that. You know, a, a Chinese attack Taiwan would be a threat to Japan's security as well. So they could consider using their military forces to get involved. You don't think that's the case?、Um, when I look at the text and readout, 
I would rather believe that uh, the deputy minister of defense in Japan was trying to convince the United States to give more focus on the security of Taiwan. And um, he urged uh, the theme that Taiwan must be defended, uh, but not necessarily implied that Japan will join the American forces to have a direct military engagement against the People's Liberation Army from China. So um, the, the reason why he said that uh, is because of two requirements. The first one is the alliance requirement. Uh, according to the US-Japan Security Alliance, that uh, should the United States decided to get involved in Taiwan scenario militarily, Japan would have to provide certain support for the American operations in the region. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, Japan is uh, seriously confined by its uh, constitution. The Article 9 of Japanese constitution defined that Japan has no rights to initiate a war or participate in offensive military operations. Um, so the self-defense force of Japan can only conduct defensive operations to protect Japan only. Uh, so with these two factors weigh in, I would say that the deputy minister was trying to uh, raise the public awareness, remind uh, the United States that Taiwan is very important to Japan and uh, Japan will do its part uh, under the condition of the constitution to provide support for the American operations in the region. So you're saying that it's trying to uh, tell the U.S. to help um, defend Taiwan. But, you know, we also see that there have been some reports in saying that if China attacked Taiwan, this actually would be a threat to Japan's national security. So in that case, they could also help defend Taiwan. Do you, do you see Japan perhaps taking that kind of a move? Um, of course, uh, invasion on Taiwan by China would definitely threaten the Japanese national security as well as its sea lands of communication. But that does not necessarily uh, involve J Japanese force in the direct exchange of fire mm. uh, with the uh, Chinese armed forces. Uh, the reason why is that Japan has a very cons conservative past and uh, the political and social uh, fabric uh, has not come to the stage to support a Japanese offensive actions outside of Japan. Uh, for that particular reason that uh, the uh, Japanese, to, after many years of efforts by former minister Shinzo Abe, that Japan can only participate under the name of Security Alliance to provide American forces, logistic and other intelligence information support, but not necessarily get involved in war fighting. So why do you think Japan is coming out at this time? Do you think that the threat of a Chinese attack is greater than ever before and that they're getting nervous about this as well? Yeah, uh, of course, um, we, we know that uh, in Japanese politics, 
uh, it, there is a very wide spectrum. Uh, the deputy minister and the minister of defense in Japan currently are considered the far right of the spectrum. Uh, they had always uh, promote the idea that Japan needs to be a normal country and Japan needs to change its self-defense forces to national forces or rebuild their military capability. But, you know, that, that kind of uh, voice does not represent that the entire Japanese diet or Congress would support such kind of idea. And the number two is that Japan has been very cautious whenever they saw American changing their policy. So they would not like to be left behind uh, when they saw that the United States is now promoting a closer uh, security collaboration with Taiwan. So they jump out. They do not want to be left behind. They wanted to to show their support of our American policy. You know, based on, you know, decades of observation, we need to understand that Japan has not yet to become a normal country. It relies heavily on the American protection. And so whenever the United States got a policy change or a security arrangement, Japan would jump to the front and to show their flag and support of American policy direction. I'm speaking with Professor Alexander Huang, a top wargaming and defense expert here in Taiwan, a professor at Danjiang University's Graduate Institute of International Affairs and Strategic Studies. We are talking about recent statements from top Japanese officials saying that they should defend Taiwan. Next, I ask him if he thinks these statements will help deter an attack by China on Taiwan. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. listening to Taiwan Today, and I am Natalie So. I'm speaking with a top expert in defense and wargaming here in Taiwan, Professor Alexander Huang of Danjiang University's Graduate Institute of International Affairs and Strategic Studies, about if Japan can help deter China from attacking Taiwan. That's because recently, top officials in Japan have come out to say that Japan should help defend Taiwan. Professor Huang tells me if he thinks that this will be a deterrent for China. The short answer is no. No? Um, <laughs> um, I do not believe that Beijing would be deterred uh, by the language and that uh, from a deputy minister of defense in Japan. But if we zoom out 
to look at a wider and, and stronger US-Japan security alliance vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the, the Chinese uh, assertiveness. I would say that um, these kind of uh, verbal expression would uh, give a high alert uh, to the people and, uh, and the war planners in Beijing and would probably prompt uh, even uh, a higher nationalism within China. Uh, it may not bring anything good uh, to the situation that has been already very tense uh, in the Taiwan Strait. Uh, it might show some kind of policy direction, but it may not be helpful uh, for uh, the security and the stability in the region. I would personally, I would say that, uh, that if Japan uh, can do more and speak less, uh, that would be much better. Well, what do you think would deter China from attacking Taiwan? I think um, to deter, I, I would use the word prevent. Uh, to prevent a Chinese intention, it's much more important to deter a Chinese action. Uh, to deter Chinese action uh, is based on Taiwan's own ability to defend itself. Uh, it's based on the uh, U.S.-Taiwan security cooperation. Uh, it depends on uh, how soon and how fast that the United States can uh, modernize its current forces in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, and uh, it also depends on how the Americans are working with their regional allies to form a even more stronger uh, alliance uh, and uh, sending the correct signal to the policy decision makers in Beijing. I think that's a coalition of all efforts uh, are the only way to deter a Chinese decision to use force against Taiwan. That is Professor Alexander Huang of Danjiang University's Graduate Institute of International Affairs and Strategic Studies. He is a top defense and wargaming expert here in Taiwan. Next week, we continue the conversation, and he tells us if he thinks the U.S. will defend Taiwan and to what extent. Join me next week on Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei, the people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. For all your science and tech news, it's Stash Butler with The Download. Welcome to The Download, a brand new show from Radio Taiwan International covering all the latest developments in science and technology. I'm your host, Ash Butler, and I'll be taking you through everything you need to know. 
Today, I continue my conversation with Jiao Guo, the founder of Taiwan Digital Diplomacy Association. She tells me how she's bringing Taiwan and India closer together with tea and what it takes to put on a social media campaign. All that coming up on The Download. So a quick bit of background, Jaya and I talk a bit about the uh, Milk Tea Alliance. Now that's the name of an online democracy solidarity movement led mostly by young activists from Hong Kong, Taiwan, Thailand and Myanmar. And it, it plays with the idea that the four countries are all united by their love of, you guessed it, milk tea. And that's something that's spread to other countries as well. During the protests last year in Belarus, way over in Europe, Activists use their own traditional milky beverage, a drink called Lyazhenka, to symbolize their resistance against President Lukashenko. I wanted to know what Jaya meant when she said she runs campaigns on social media. What does that kind of campaign look like? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for, like you said, finding something in common with other countries. Okay. Like uh, last year, we launched a campaign, Milk Day Alliance, and we focus more on Indian audience because uh, the original Milk Day Alliance, it only includes Thailand, uh, Hong Kong, in Taiwan, but we noticed that a lot of Indian people on Twitter, they want to join this campaign as well. So uh, we quickly draw a picture that we put uh, Tsai Ing-wen on the picture holding Taiwanese uh, milk, <laughs> bubble, bubble milk tea. And we also put, the, we put Modi on this picture as well and holding uh, Indian milk tea. And to cheer with it, we let them to cheer with each other. And because milk tea is something common in our daily life, Taiwanese, we drink milk tea and Indian drink milk tea as well. And also they can recognize uh, our president immediately and Indian can recognize uh, Modi immediately. So we feel intimate in this picture because India has some border conflicts with China last year. So this picture just spread very fast. Uh, we got like 7,000 shares from May to October last year because they keep, they keep having conflicts with China, so they keep using <laughs> this, 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 this picture. Um, and also, uh, there was a India magazine, they also used this picture to discuss about, like, they should rethink about the relation between India and China and India and Taiwan. So I feel, I feel it's quite interesting that how people mm, react so so fast on um, social media if they find something interesting and um, actually a lot of people are caring about the international efforts so if we create some materials which is interesting or shareable they will get shared very fast. It's almost like now there's this kind of genre of um, online news reporting which is just sort of reporting on social media do you mm-hmm. know what I mean like sometimes yeah. you just see a news story and it's just like yeah. oh this is going crazy on social media yeah, yeah, yeah. so I guess like that can really work in your favor you know yeah. if you get something going mad on social media yeah. then it then filters into kind of maybe more traditional yeah. media we are creating news somehow <laughs> like we want to get more I want to we want Taiwan to get more international media exposure but at the same time we're creating the news as well so I mean that's a, those are examples of kind of a, I suppose digital events that you you did but you also do in-person events right you do physical mm-hmm. things so yeah, I mean I mean I mean most recently I guess would be the example of the the, the Dajia Mazu pilgrimage yeah, yeah, Mazu pilgrimage yeah. so I mean just just crazy. just for our listeners I mean that's kind of a, one of the biggest religious sort of festivals in the world according to uh, Discovery Channel, I believe, up to a million people visiting this this uh, pilgrimage, this kind of traditional 
Taiwanese religious celebration. And, and, and yeah, I mean, tell me what you did mm-hmm. at that event. Actually, the, the Mazu pilgrimage was a kind of a surprise for us because uh, we got the request from Zhenlan Temple like 12 days before before the Mazu pilgrimage. And their request is they want to let the international world know more about this tradition. They, they want the all the world to to be interested in this event. So uh, their ideas is like um, they want us to to bring uh, all the ambassadors in Taiwan to participate in the Matu pilgrimage, which has never happened before. <laughs> when we got re- this request, we think uh, how to attract the ambassadors who 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 doesn't believe in this religion and be willing to attend this event and how to introduce the the event to those ambassadors and at the same time like um, if they want more international exposure it's not enough if we just bring all the ambassadors to 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 Dajia. we have to think about the strategy about how to let more uh, international journalists participate participate in it so at the end it become a travel tour like we bring we bring um, ambassadors from 13 different countries some of some of them are representatives because we we don't have diplomatic relation with all of them uh, we bring um, diplomats from 13 different countries and we bring eight different foreign journalists from different medias and also uh, youtubers from three different countries I, and some of my foreign friends as well foreigners in taiwan uh, and ait they they have around 16 people participating in it so it became around 70 people in in that tour and um, we organized this this uh, travel tour in 12 days and We try to introduce this tradition or this event to all of the participants, and also we train our volunteers to help with this event because it's it's something different with the events we had before because we go to another cities and we will move to different places all day, and you know there will be uh, around three hundred thousand people flooding to this small town. It kind kind of mm, yeah ex- exciting situation but actually uh, sometimes complicated so we need we need volunteers to help with this event so we organized all this um, within 12 days and then we went to Dajia Mazu. Uh, I think people enjoy this event a lot because uh, a lot of ambassadors told me they have lived in Taiwan around 20 years but they have never participated in it. They know about this event but they have never participated in it and it was uh, the first year they got invited And when the world is under the pandemic, it's also quite impressive that Taiwan can have this kind of big events. We have 300,000 people participate in it. Oh, I also see. I also see uh, some ambassadors. They even take out their their iPhone to have video chat with their with their families at home, and um, they want to share the excitement with their family and also like um, how friendly Taiwanese to toward them. Like because like uh, when We were uh, watching the the Dajia Mazu pilgrimage. We were on the international stage, and all the Taiwanese who passed by the stage, they waving very hard <laughs> and say thank you, thank you, welcome to Taiwan. So, so I think I think people are quite amazed by how friendly like people welcome them join this event. That was Jiao Guo from Taiwan Digital Diplomacy Association. Telling me how she used milk tea to bring India and Taiwan closer together, how a religious pilgrimage showed the world Taiwan's success in the pandemic, 
and how Taiwanese people's friendliness manages to surprise diplomats who've lived here for 20 years. And that's all we have time for this week. Next week, Jayo tells me how her organization decided to use a football tournament as an opportunity to strengthen ties with Taiwan's Latin American allies. That's next week with me, Stash Butler, on The Download. Last year, Taiwan's government got high marks for its success in containing COVID-19. People were largely unified, and pandemic prevention was seen as apolitical. However, that's all changed as Taiwan deals with its worst outbreak since the pandemic began. Now, how has it changed? Well, this past week, we got some new numbers from the Taiwanese Public Opinion Foundation. Taiwan's political parties are laid out on a spectrum from green to blue, as you can see here. Now, green is the ruling party, the DPP or Tsai Ing-wen administration, and blue is the main opposition, KMT, the Kuomintang, and their allies. Now, in March, about half of the people surveyed supported the ruling party, or DPP. A quarter were neutral, and another quarter supported the main opposition, KMT. Now, in June, that shifted dramatically. Have a look at this. Erosion of support for the ruling party, they lost 15%. The KMT, interestingly, didn't make any gains. They were stable at just over 25%. And at the center, a big increase in the middle three categories to nearly 50%. So that's basically a sign of partisan dealignment, which is when people leave one party but don't necessarily go to support a different party. So when did this all change and what caused it? Well, back in March, things were pretty much normal here in Taiwan. But then by mid-May, COVID-19 began to make a comeback. The Taiwanese Public Opinion Foundation says one of the main reasons for the political shift is the outbreak, particularly the increase in cases and deaths. Also, the impact of the soft lockdown, not only on the economy, but also on the way we lead our lives. And of course, the lack of vaccines. Now, one more interesting part of this survey, when people were asked to choose a political party that they support, this is what they said. 22% said the ruling party, the DPP, that's a five-year low for the party. The main opposition, KMT or Kuomintang, also lost a little bit of support. And 15% for the Taiwan People's Party or TPP, that's a record high for Taipei Mayor Kuenje and his party, which was founded just two years ago. 
but that may have eroded since late June due to his handling of the COVID outbreak in Taipei. But the most telling statistic is nearly a third of the people surveyed chose no party at all. So there you have it. That's a quick look at how the handling of the current outbreak has impacted politics here in Taiwan. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.